Mesaches Demai, Perik Vav Mishnah, Base 6.2. In the previous mission, we discussed two ways in which a peasant farmer could contract with a landowner. Uh, we had both the aris, who's paying a uh, percentage of the harvest. That's in English, a share cropper. He shares a share of it. And the second is the chocher, who is the tenant farmer who contracts to pay a fixed amount. And he's paying a fixed amount in terms of product, not in terms of money. Let us say he says, I'm going to pay 30 bushels of wheat regardless of what the land produces. Now, we said over there in the previous Mishnah that a central value that Chazal are concerned about over here is that the land of Israel should be owned by Jews. And therefore, we don't want, um, based on the passage, you may not give them a freehold in the land of Israel. We don't want that non-Jewish owners to own the land, exploiting Jewish workers. We want the land to be owned by Jews themselves. And that being the case, while the previous mission discussed the halachas regarding the makabel, the, excuse me, the, the aris, the sharecropper, and we also talked about a chocher, someone who is a, um, a tenant farmer, but the owner is a Jew, we didn't discuss the case of a chocher, one who's a tenant farmer, when the owner is a non-Jew. And that is sort of the worst of both worlds, because A, you have the primary problem of the landowner being the non-Jew, and the Jew being the worker. And second of all, unlike the case of Aresus, where it's at least a it's a quasi-fair deal since they're sort of partners and everyone's, you know, getting a... If the crop and harvest is good, everyone wins. And if it's bad, everyone loses. In the case of Chakirus, if you're a tenant farmer, you're agreeing at the beginning of the season to pay, let's say, the 30 barrels of wheat. And the field may only produce 30 barrels of wheat, in which case it would be catastrophic for the worker. And it's really great, sort of an insured return, a great return, and a very strong economic position for the landowner. And if that landowner is a non-Jew, that sort of ensures that the non-Jew is entrenched in the land and won't be uh, removed. And therefore, we'll see in our mission now, Chazal set up sort of an economic disincentive to avoid for this worst-case scenario, where you have a Jewish worker servicing a non-Jewish landowner in a tenant-farming Chakiros relationship. Chazal sort of penalized them to make it sort of less attractive in hopes that the non-Jew would find the whole situation um, difficult to find workers and be sort of pushed to sell his land back to Jews, which is what Chazal wanted. So the mission says, If one is a tenant farmer paying a fixed amount in terms of produce to a non-Jewish landowner in the land of Israel, so then we sort of penalize, halachli penalize the worker by saying, He must take not just truma, but also miser, from the produce before um, having what's left to pay what he owes to the landowner. That, of course, makes it very relatively expensive for the Jewish chocher, tenant farmer, which would make him find another field to work, putting the non-Jew in a bad economic position and being encouraged and sort of forced to sell his property back to Jews, which is what Chazal, Chazal wanted. Rabbi Yudome, Rabbi Yudome says, there is an exception to this rule. Back to the case of the previous Mishnah, which was Arisus, even if meaning that you have a Jew who is now working for a non-Jew, but not as a chocher, not as a tenant farmer, as the first clause of the mission was, rather like a sharecropper paying a, a, a percentage of the yield, like we had in the previous Mishnah. But if that's a setup where the non-Jew owns it, the Jew is working, and even if the Jew was working as an aris, even so, we don't like it if it's steavosav, if the land that's being worked by the Jew was originally owned by that Jew's family because we're concerned that Jew would have like sort of a very emotional, strong emotional tie 
to that field and therefore either want to live and work at the field at produce below market rates, further empowering and sort of entrenching the non-Jew. And that being the case, um, we sort of penalize him and we say in such a scenario, even if he's working as an aris, master or no son low, the Jew who's working as a sharecropper must tithe, meaning not just not make trumas and maestras before he pays anything um, to his, uh, out of his portion. In other words, the, the, there's agreeing to give a third of the yield, let's say, to the landowner who's not Jewish. But instead of saying, here's your third, have a nice day, he has to first tithe it, trumas and maestras, and then give what's left, what's left a third to the, to the, uh, the non-Jewish landowner, which would make it very unattractive. I would encourage the Jewish worker to want to essentially find a way to buy out the non-Jewish landowner to reclaim his ancestral plot, which would really, uh, really be consistent with what Chazal wants, that Jews should own land in Eretz Israel. So Rabbi Yehuda says, we put this economic disincentive to the Jew who works his ancestral land that's now been taken over by force by a non-Jew, so that ultimately will end up that the Jew gets his land back, which is what Chazal wanted. And the Alacha actually follows this Rabbi Huda Shita also. Um, he's not arguing. It's a different case altogether. And therefore the Alacha is like both the Tanakhama and Rabbi Huda, that uh, the two cases where we force the Jewish worker to take trumas and maishas before paying their landowner um, their fair share is the chocher, the one who's a tenant farmer, paying a fixed amount to a non-Jewish owner, or even an aris, a sharecropper, in the event that the aris is working on his family's ancestral lot, which was taken by force by non-Jews, either the one who's currently the landowner, or even if it was this current non-Jewish landowner's ancestors. They took it by force, and Chazal want the Jews to get it back.